Uh, well, this is our second week in a series, you know, uh, called David, you know, an unlikely leader, and we're trying to become uh, the leader that God has called all of us to be. And as we talked about last week, many of us, uh, when we asked, are you a leader, don't raise our hands. But then when we said that leadership is influence, then everybody understands we're all leaders. It just depends on the level and the place, you know, in which God is using you to influence other people. And so last week we looked about becoming, you know, that leadership starts from the heart, you know, especially when we face life's battles. And uh, this week, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, friendship. Before we do, I don't know if you ever notice that when you hang around a group of people uh, for a period of time, you start uh, adapting some of their phrases, you start talking a little bit like them. Uh, uh, you start uh, uh, doing things that they do. Uh, those of you who've got a chance to travel just a bit, if you've ever gotten a chance to go to the South, anywhere in the South, uh, for some of you, uh, you are easily influenced. It only takes three hours before you talk like a Southerner, okay? For some of you, you spend a few weeks, a few months, and you will still deny to those around you, you know, that that's what you sound like. And people are like, man, you do you have a Southern accent now? They're like, no, I don't. You know, uh, you, I'll see you all later. You know, you're just like, what? You know, what just happened? And it's fascinating, you know, how this takes place. In fact, a psychologist recently, I was just reading some articles on how our brain waves are actually wired to conform. You walk into a room, you walk into a setting, you walk into a work environment, your brain automatically recognizes what's taking place and it wants to conform to whatever the environment may be. Could be super loud, it wants to kind of conform though. It could be super quiet. So even though we have people who want to be non-conformist, our brains are actually wired to conform than it is to non-conform, which is just fascinating to process through. So knowing the power of influence, you know, our group of people can have, you know, in our lives. I want to show you, uh, it's an older clip uh, but it was one of the best clips that I found that was uh, uh, an example of what it's like to be influenced, even though you don't know you're being influenced at the time. So go ahead and watch the screen with me now. The gentleman in the elevator now is a candid star. These folks who are entering, the man with a white shirt, the lady with a trench coat, and subsequently one other member of our staff will face the rear. And you'll see how this man in the trench coat <laughs> tries to maintain his individuality, but little by little, he looks at his watch, but he's really making an excuse for turning just a little bit more to the wall. Now we'll try it once again. Here's the candid subject. Here comes the candid camera staff, three of them at least. And uh, this man has apparently been in groups before. Here's a fella with his hat on in the elevator. First he makes a full turn to the rear and Charlie closes the door. A moment later, we'll open the door. Everybody's changed positions. (laughs) 
to see if we can use I want to see if we can use group pressure for some good now in a moment on Charlie's signal everybody turns forward there it is, notice they take off their hats and now do you think we could reverse the procedure watch It's an older clip, but we know that this is true, you know, even today. It is the power to conform. And so knowing that, how much more important does friendship become in our lives? Does who we choose, who we hang out, who we associate with friends? In fact, uh, what I want you to do is the person sitting next to you, I want you to answer this question. What makes a really great friend? What makes, what is a, what is a, what is a word that comes to mind that you say, man, that's what makes a great friend in my life. So go ahead and answer that question by talking to the people around you. Go ahead and do that now. Okay, I want to hear a few of these. What do we got? Trust. Loyalty. What's that? Grace for you. Acceptance, commonality. Honesty, shared values. Invest. Somebody who's pleasant. Oh, present and, and pleasant. That works too. Somebody's present. So last server, somebody said, a boat. I was like, Yes. Got to have a friend with a boat, you know, it's, it's important to have a great friend. The uh, reason that it's, it's important is because finding and having friends seems to be getting harder and harder with each generation. Uh, one of the reasons is relationships take intentionality and they take time, two of which we don't seem to be valuing more and more as a culture, especially the time factor that it takes to establish good, deep, and meaningful friends. So as a society... We thought we came up with a solution about a little over 12 years ago now that changed our American society and changed the world. And that was the iPhone. Okay, the iPhone came out just a little over 12 years ago. And when it did, one of the promises, one of the advertisements of the iPhone was that it would allow us to connect with more people and more places and more times, thus improving our relationships. What began to take place though, is instead of talking to people on the phone, the vast majority of us started to text instead of call or talk. Not realizing, maybe, maybe not, that a high percentage of communication is still body language and tone of voice. And so how much are we really communicating? In fact, what they have found, and this is what's hard, is sociologists have found this, Facebook and other social medias has actually reaffirmed these findings, is that we now have the up and coming, the loneliest and most isolated generation in American history. And yet, we have these devices that promise connectivity like never before in American history. And what you're finding is over the last 12 years, they finally did the studies and they're, and they're starting to come to fruition of those in their late teens, early 20s who got an iPhone and now in their late 20s and early 30s, they feel lonely, they feel isolated. They don't feel connected and yet we have a device that's supposed to connect us. So they came up with social media, right? Another way that promised connectivity and in a way it has. There are friends and family members and classmates and people from your past that you're now more readily able to know something more about their real lives than you ever have before. There was no way to be able to connect in those ways. The problem that they're finding is anxiety amongst teenagers and those in their early 20s is beginning to skyrocket more and more and more, primarily because they're looking at social media and realizing how many things they've not been invited to or included with. And so this FOMO, this fear of missing out, is actually a disorder that's beginning to take place 
Uh, bullying used to take place between, you know, uh, mostly on the male side of things. Uh, if we were to be honest, it was a physical, usually uh, altercation, at least when I was growing up, where there was to be some physical intimidation. Well, we realize that now it's flipped. It's verbal. And it's through things like social media. And sorry, ladies, it's actually more on the female side. Again, these are all generalities. I don't want to need emails to say, well, I'm the exception. I understand. There's always exceptions. And so we see this, you know, taking place, and it's, and it's actually hindering relationship and connectivity in the way that God has wired and designed us. You ever go to a sporting event uh, uh, and you'll see that there is a student now who five seats down is sitting next to another student and they're texting each other. They're not even, I'm like, like, he's right, he's right there, you know. Um, By the way, I'm no better. Um, I can't tell you how many times I'm in my own house and I text my wife. Yeah. I'm like, hon, can you grab this thing? She goes, I'm right here. I was like, I know, but I was in the other room and it's hard for me to yell louder, you know, over there. I didn't want to be disrespectful, you know. No, it's just lazy. You know, that's all it was. Or you go to restaurants. Have you been in a restaurant, you know, before? You got a family of four. Oh, great chance of connection. Over the dinner table, great chance. And people are just on their phones, not even connecting with one another. And so we're finding this culture and society is getting more and more isolated and this desire and need for friendship continues to grow. And since friendships are so influential, here's something super simple and super clear that if you get nothing else out of today, here's what I want want you to walk away with. You ready? Who you choose to surround yourself with today is who you will be tomorrow. It's not just for kids. It's for us too. Who you choose to surround yourself with today is who you will be tomorrow. If you want to know who or what kind of person you will be in the future, I can tell you exactly who you're going to be. Look at your closest friends and you will see who you're going to become. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and you will be wise. And so you can infer the opposite. Walk with fools and you will be a fool. And you can see this. I can tell you as as a parent, always praying, because I understand the power of influence in teenage years, but it does not end after the teenage years in terms of the influence and the power we have with one another. And so since one of life's greatest and most challenging quests is to find a deep, meaningful, caring, life-giving friendships, but how do we do it? How do we get there? So what I want to do is look back at David's life and look at the closest modeling friendship that we can actually see. And I love that it's between two men. That we see, especially on our side, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But it's between David and Jonathan. Between David and Jonathan. And here's what I want you to do. We're going to talk about David and Jonathan. But as we do, we're going to look at four layers of friendships. Here's where you get a chance to evaluate where are you when it comes to friendship. And find out who's in what categories. In fact, if you want to write some names down, to be like, ooh, these are the people that are in this category. These are people in this category. And you might find something that God wants to tell you today as we go on this journey and experience together. So let's start with number one. Level one, level one friends share our passions and interests. They share our passions and interests. Uh, we've, we've got people, you know, most of us have this in our lives, who we might be interested, you know, in sports. Like if I say, go Seahawks. Yeah, there's six of you left on the bandwagon. I like it. I like it. I'm still there, you know. And so I'm just saying, you're like, okay, there's some common interest. We may not know each other even real well, but there's some interest that goes beyond acquaintance. We might do some things, you know, even together. You got fishing, you got hiking, hunting, camping. There's so many interests that we have. Could be music, could be a lot of different things that connect us in this level one friendship group. Bottom line is we like those who are like us. 
we like those who are like us. So in 1 Samuel chapter 14, and we're going to be bouncing around from chapters 14 to 23 to get the whole scope of David and Jonathan's life. David shows up on the scene. Let me give you the context. They're at war. The Philistines are at war with the Israelites. And in this battle, the Philistines have the upper hand. Not only tactically, they are literally on higher ground than the nation of Israel, but also from a resource standpoint, numbers of men and weapons, you know, to be able to use. Tactically, militarily, they are not in the advantage. So Jonathan, who happens to be King Saul's son, has this idea, and this is what it says in verse 6. Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. So he's not talking to the army, he's talking to one guy. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. So you see already his connection to God. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. By the way, this is all before David and Goliath, and this is his understanding of God. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. All right, then, Jonathan told him, we will cross over and we will let them see us. Interesting tactic. If, you, if they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we'll, then we'll stop and not go up to them. That's good advice, you know? <laughs> but then he says, but if they say, come on up and fight, then we'll go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. Really? I mean, I mean, this is one of those things that I cannot wait to get to heaven, to be like, Jonathan, how in the world did you decide, hey, if they say this, we're out, but if they say this, let's go get them. I'm like, sounds like both terrible options, you know, but obviously he's got a connection with God, you know, and so they make their way up and they reveal themselves and then they're listening. And what do the Philistines say? They say, come on up and fight. And so he's like, yes. So him and his armor bearer run up to these Philistines, two against many. And so they kill one and then another one, and then another one. In this, in this large acreage, they kill over 20 Philistines while this is happening the commanders of the Israelite army are noticing, like, there's a skirmish. Saul's like, what is going on? He's like, uh, your son Jonathan is fighting them by himself. And he's like, not a good idea. Let's go. And so it raises up everybody. They run. The Philistines' army, you know, they run in fear, and Israel wins the day. Now, what does that have to do with common interests? Not much time later, and David shows up on the scene, as we talked about last week, and kills Goliath, okay? So lops off Goliath's head, says some similar things about his trust in God. So what are their common interests? Their belief and their trust in God. Secondly, they love to fight. Some of you guys love to watch MMA. They actually like to participate in things that harm people forever. We won't say what that is in church. They kill people. You know, so they do, you know, but for good reason. Uh, this has got me into trouble already. Okay, so we, we have these two guys. They have a similar passion. They have similar interest in one another. If you're a follower of Christ, if a passion of yours is Jesus Christ, one of the things that we say is that it was never to be experienced alone. Get in a group, a men's group, a women's group, a recovery group, a community group. Get in a group where you can be known and know others, your common interest, you may have nothing in common, but your interest in either knowing or becoming like Christ is what will draw you together as friends, especially this level one friendship. 
Okay, so that's level one. Hopefully you've written down some people who've got similar interests, hobbies, all that kind of stuff with you. Level two now, friendships are, are people who genuinely love and care about each other. They genuinely love. Here's a litmus test. If you had to move, to move today, who would you call? If you had to move today, see how the list kind of went down a little bit? The, the, the fishing buddy didn't, didn't make the list. You know, you're like, oh, he's lazy. He would never come and help me, you know, with that, unless it benefited him. See, we love those who genuinely love us. We just do. And Jonathan genuinely loved David, and David genuinely loved Jonathan. How do I know? Because this is what we read in 1 Samuel 18 now, verse 1 through 5. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David, and from that time on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. So what happened is there's this pledge, there's this covenant that takes place. In our days, uh, in business, you might call it a contract. The fraternity, it's called a pledge. In the military, it might be a vow. But two people who make a promise to, about something that is bigger than any individual person. Now, he takes off his royal robe and gives him his tunic, that kind of stuff. Sounds a little odd. Yeah, it's not just two guys just being weird, you know, which happens if you've ever had a roommate in college, you know, and you're a guy, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about here, though, is that there is super significance. What David, what Jonathan is saying is, here is my royal robe. I am recognizing that the pact of our friendship is that God's hand is on your life and you're going to be the next king and not me. Think about that for a second. He recognizes that and still makes this connection, this bond with David. So I wonder for a second, as you evaluate your own friendships right now, is there anyone who puts your needs, your gifts above themselves? Is there anyone who does that in your life? We see this in sports from time to time, where somebody recognizes that the next person who's coming up maybe become better than they, and so they actually pour into that person because they want to see that person succeed, even if it means them losing their spot on the team or their spot in the starting role or them not being the star as much anymore. Uh, we see this often, you know, hopefully, I know I've seen it around here in many circumstances where people may be in positions of influence and they're being used by God to lead groups or help other people and that they recognize, you know, what's even more valuable is if I actually love on this person enough and train and encourage and equip and be about their needs even above my own so that I can see them succeed, thus continuing the mission and vision. Do you, re you do realize that this is happening before your eyes almost every weekend. Uh, Eric and uh, Svensson, you know, uh, I believe, is uh, one of the most nurturing, caring, and for other people I know. Uh, in fact, uh, if you've been around him long enough, he refers to a guy who plays guitar on our stage called Kenny as a son. I'll let you determine whether it's true or not, you know, but he has poured into Kenny. And if you've noticed, if you've been around here for a little while, Eric has slowly backed off more and more and more, and he's continued to push Kenny higher and higher and higher, because he says it's not about Eric, it's about the kingdom. It's about something bigger than himself. See, Jonathan recognized it wasn't about him. It's about what's better for the kingdom. It's about what's better for his friendship. And so he elevates David. He says, I'm going to do, what he's saying is, I'm going to do whatever I can to see you succeed, to see you become the king that you were intended to become. And he does that by signifying taking off his robe and making this pact with him. Do you have any of those people in your life?
See, sometimes uh, I get people, which I think is kind of funny, uh, I get people, you know, who, who say, you know, uh, Dan, do you realize uh, uh, I actually like it when Trevor speaks more? Or, or Tyler, you know, you know, uh, 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 and, and I said, it doesn't bother me. It only bothers me when Ryan speaks. <laughs> Completely kidding. I actually love it. You know, I absolutely, absolutely love it. You know, when we do that, because we're elevating, we're just continue to find ways to say, use your gifts to be used by God, to be used by him. And so Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26, say it this way. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Whose friends have you chosen in level two? Okay, now let's go to level three. Level three gets harder, and hopefully, and you'll see the names get less and less and less. Level three friends stand up to us, and they stand with us in the ups and downs of life. Stand up to us and with us. They're the people who've got our backs. Uh, they're the people, and it's harder to find these days, who keep a confidence. Uh, they're somebody that you absolutely trust, and they will still be there, not when, but not if, but when you blow it. I mean, when you just blow it. When, when the dust settles, you kind of find out who some of your friends are in this category. Here's where this is important. In 1 Samuel 19, verse 1, Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned David, you must find a hiding place out in the field. So I'll ask my father to go out there with me and I'll talk to him about you. Then I'll tell you everything I can find out. Are you kidding me? If Jonathan ever had an opportunity to be the next king, to get the money, the power, the position, this was it. All he had to do was step back and pretend he didn't hear anything and David would have been wiped out and Jonathan would have been the next in line, but that's not what he chose to do. That's friendship. That's somebody who has your back. Now, I'm praying that nobody is literally trying to assassinate you today. They're not trying to kill you, but you do realize that people are trying to assassinate your character and trying to tear you down. They're trying to take your position and role in the company. They're trying to see the possessions that you might own financially. They're even looking at the spouse or the kids that you have enviously, and they either want to have what you want, take what you have, or see you get torn down. Do you have a friend who's there when you're not around to be able to represent you well. Do you have that kind of friend? Do you have that kind of friend? It's hard to find someone that you can trust that deep, but it's essential as we go through this thing called real life. I know of all, I, of all people, I know how people praise me to my face, but tear me down behind my back. And I think some of you know that as well. Secondly, in the same category, we need friends who not only get our back, but who love us enough to tell us the truth, don't we? Uh, we live in a society now that it says, acceptance, acceptance, acceptance. I just want somebody in my life who will never judge me and always accept me. Then you only want level two friends. Because you and I both need people in our life who actually love us enough to tell us the truth. Because all of us have blind spots. All of us have things that we're going to go head first in that we shouldn't go in but we don't, we, sometimes we only surround ourselves with people who only say yes. We don't have that person to come in and say, no, this is only going to hurt you or hurt other people. 
And so we don't want just the friends that only say yes or only accept us no matter what. We want a friend who's going to wound us a little bit because they care, not because they're trying to tear us down and we've got to know the difference. And that's hard because when you open that up, when you receive somebody who, who gives you that honest feedback out of love, it still hurts, which is why one of my favorite passages in all of scripture comes from Proverbs 27, 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted but an enemy multiplies kisses. Think about that for a little while. I think Solomon had something going on. You want people who are willing to wound you because of how much they love and care about you. Uh, another way that we say that around here is, do you have a spiritual partner? Uh, do you have a spiritual friend? Someone who cares about you enough that will challenge, encourage, come alongside, even rebuke. That's what the Bible talks about. Because of their love, they want to see you succeed in your relationship with Christ as a husband, father, coworker, friend, neighbor, whatever it may be. And they're willing to speak that and you're willing to do that back to them. That's a beautiful relationship. And that's what we see here from David and Jonathan. Another way to say that is Proverbs 27, 17 is iron sharpens iron. So one friend sharpens another. That's friend. Now men, let me talk to you for just a second. Many men I know and again, these are generalities, again, have what I would call friend disorders, you know, or friend deficits, probably a better way to say it. Now, again, not saying this is not true for women, not saying this is always true for men as well, but part of it for guys is because we've been told by our culture that our value is based solely on what we do. And so we pour ourselves extra into work, extra into provision, you know, for our family, extra time and energy and effort to those things that we think are going to bring value. And those things are all good. There's nothing wrong with those things. Don't mishear me. But not to the exclusion of deep friendships. Because you'll find that the end of those things will come to an end, which is why retirement is so painful for so many people because our identity and self-worth is so tied up into what we do, not who we are or the relationships that we have. I could tell you, you know, that into my 30s, it would be about every couple years, I'd sit down with Carolina and it would just hit me. And I'd be like, Carolina, I don't, I don't know if I have very many deep friends. She'd say, no, you've got lots of friends. I said, no, no, no. And what we're talking about today, I've got a lot of level one friends. I even got level two friends, but not this level. I, I don't have a lot of these types of friends. And part of that was due to my wiring, you know, and part of that is due to my past insecurities, you know, where I'd be focused on today and tomorrow. So each time we move, if I, I'd forget about, not intentionally, the people that I had in the past. Some of you have got relationships all the way back to, you know, junior high or beyond. It's amazing to be able to watch. But I know for me, it's been a little bit more of a challenge until about five or six years ago, where all of a sudden I started making this a priority and intentionality and time. And gosh, it's so life-giving texted them this morning. There were some things going on in my heart this morning and grabbed three of them right away. Just said, hey, there's something you can be praying for me for. So great to have those people in my life. I didn't always have it. You have to search out for it, which we'll talk about in just a second. Now, if you're a woman, did you know, most of you know this, on general, this again, this is all average, you live about six to eight years longer than men. You do. Do you know that one of the reasons psychologists and sociologists are telling us is that because of the value that you have on relationships and friendships is one of the reasons that that is the case. These are generalities, but we seem to find that they are true. So married women, we need you to encourage us married guys to be with our guy friends a little bit more often. Now, let me be clear. 
I'm talking about level three or above. I'm not talking about those weirdo guy friends where they come back worse than when they left. You can keep saying no. Say no to those guys. You know, right? They come back, you're like, oh man, you are a worse husband, worse father, or worse whatever. Don't ever see that person again, okay? That's what I'm saying. I'm saying there are some times the guys are like, hmm, thinking about going on or got an invite from someone. Oh, what do you think? That's when you should be saying go if you know that that is going to produce in that person some life that will encourage them as a follower of Christ, as a husband, as a father. Guys need guy friends. Ladies need lady friends as well, but guys just have a harder time doing that on a regular basis. And I've heard ladies tell me, but I just want my husband to tell me everything. I want us to be best friends. I, I want him to tell me everything that's going on in his head. No, you do not <laughs> ever want that to take place <laughs> in his head. But encourage him, make an excuse. If you knew, I can't guarantee this, but if you knew it would give you a few more years on the back end, would you say yes to time now that he would have with his friends? something to process, which leads us now to level four. Hey, level four, friends, this is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. Give their lives for the betterment of another. They give their lives. Do you have somebody in that category? You see, back to David and Jonathan, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse one, David now fled from Ramah and found Jonathan. And this is after, you know, he's already tried to kill him and Jonathan's convinced him, no, he's not after you. He's not going to try to kill you. And this is what David says to Jonathan. What have I done? What is my crime? How have I offended your father that he's so determined to kill me? It's not true, Jonathan continued. You're, you're not going to die. He always tells me everything he's going to do and even the little things. I know my father wouldn't hide something like this from me. It just isn't so. Then David took an oath before Jonathan and he said, your father knows perfectly well about our friendship. So he said to himself, I won't tell Jonathan. Why should I hurt him? But I swear to you that I'm only one step away from death. I swear it by the Lord and by your own soul. Tell me what I can do to help you, Jonathan exclaimed. Do you realize by Jonathan saying those words, he was now literally putting his life on the line for David because now he was gonna put himself in a situation to defy the king. Those days, you defy the king, whether your relatives or not, and you lose your life. He's saying, David, my life for your life. That's powerful, not knowing the end. First Samuel chapter 23, here's what we read. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You're going to be king of Israel, and I will be next to you as my father Saul is well aware. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home while David stayed in Horesh, never to see each other again. That was their last encounter, for Jonathan would die with his father Saul on the battlefield, which then David finally became king of Israel. David had a friend in his life that was willing to go the distance with David to be used by God to help, to come alongside, to encourage, to rebuke, to do all those things that David would need. Proverbs 18.24 says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend, not plural, this category is small, who sticks closer than a brother. These people are hard to find. Very, very hard to find. And one would hope that you would find this in marriage. One would hope that you'd find this between husband and wife, but I also know in marriages, sometimes that's not the case. Even as you do your best to try to love the other person. 
But I have good news for everyone here today. All of us have access to a level four friend and his name is Jesus. For he tells us in John 15, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because the master couldn't confide in the slaves. You are my friends since I have told you everything the father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruits of the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. What a friend we have in Jesus who would be willing to sacrifice it all while we were still estranged, while we were still enemies of God. He says, this is what I'm gonna do for you. And many of us have grown up in the church and thought, well, Jesus is my savior. I get to go to heaven because he went to, went to the cross for me. And you're right. And then we're supposed to say, Jesus, you're my Lord. He is the boss. He is the leader of my life. You're right. But when you make Jesus Lord, as it says, when you follow his commands, you become his friend. And it reaches a whole other level of connection and intimacy with him. And for some of us, we need to break out of some of the mold that we have of God and begin to embrace this side of Jesus as well. I could tell you, uh, my dad, uh, near the end of his life, as we kind of recounted, you know, the things that he had gone through, uh, the times he told me, he goes, Dan, some of the toughest times and hardest times of my life, I said, I want you to remember that Jesus was always there, that he was the closest friend that I ever had in my life. And we can have that with him if we would put our trust and our hope in him. But just like with any other friend, it takes intentionality and it takes time. Remember what we started with. I told you this, if you didn't get anything else, who you choose to surround yourself with today is who you will be tomorrow. Who you surround yourself with. Evaluate, is Jesus one of those people? See, the primary person because when you surround yourself with him, you get to become more and more like him. That's the power of influence. Now, one little side note before we wrap up. Sometimes people read this and they're like, ooh, that just means I need to world bad. I need to surround myself with, with only close, close, you know, Christian friends. And to an extent, that is true. But don't you ever forget that Jesus was often called a friend of sinners. And if we're going to be like Jesus and knowing that we sin as well, that that should be a nickname we get also. So as we wrap up, who would you say, or where would you say, do your friends lie? Level one, two, three, and four. Are you able to, to evaluate, to do an audit? And I hear people often say, well, Dan, I don't have great friends. I don't have good friends. Here's one secret I learned a long time ago that I hope will encourage you as you leave. If you don't have great friends, here's the secret, become the great friend. What you will notice with the people who have the deepest friendships are people who are deep friends to other people. And so before we start saying this isn't happening to me, start with yourself and saying, am I this to anyone else in level three and level four? Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to call you friend because of your level four friendship of sacrificing yourself for us. Help us to follow your commands. And Father, if there's anyone in here who does not have you as their friend, that today would be the day that they would open their heart and simply repeat this prayer after me. Lord, I give you my life. Father, I pray the rest of us would take some time to evaluate where our friendships are and see where it is that you're calling us to grow, knowing how powerful we are in each other's lives.
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.